let's look at Psalm 98. And it's a psalm that's an, interesting because it's a nominate. It's non-attributed. It's and it's not prefaced in terms of its musical style. It's not told if it's a muscle or if it's didactic. We're not told exactly who the author is, the speculations. But what's important is this. The way the ancient Hebrews positioned the Psalms in juxtaposition to each other, they did for a reason. They did for a reason, okay? Uh, looking at Psalm 96, the closing verse, before the Lord, on verse 13 of Psalm 96, not 98, 96, before the Lord, for he is coming, he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Now, that is the last verse of Psalm um, 96, but it also becomes essentially the last Psalm paraphrased in Psalm 98. Messiah and prophecy in Psalms. Most of the Psalms we've looked at so far deal prophetically with the first coming of Jesus. They deal prophetically with the first coming of Jesus. This psalm is different. While there are elements of it that would allude to his first coming and what he achieved, the focus of this is not his first coming. This is a psalm concerned with his second coming. This is something we may call an eschatological psalm. We don't have a preface. We don't know the musical style for sure. We don't know who the Lord inspired it through. We just know that the ancient Hebrews and the early church considered it to be canonical. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. He has done wonderful things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained the victory for him. Mark the term right hand if you don't know. Jesus, Yeshua, is always identified in eternity as being at the right hand of the Father, at the right hand of the Father, okay? And the right hand is a metaphor for him. And Isaiah chapter 53, to whom has the arm, the yad of the Lord been revealed? Now, there are variations of this term in Hebrew. The term for arm and hand is the same term in Hebrew, yad. But when you see the right hand of Yahweh, it is always a metaphor for the Messiah, for Christ. Yahweh will bring salvation by his right hand. To whom has the arm, the hand of the Lord been revealed? The psalm that says the following, I'm going to recite it in Hebrew and uh, translated, um, If I shall forget Jerusalem, Jerusalem, <laughs> okay, I can forget my right hand. What God is saying is his promise to Israel and to David for Jerusalem, where the Messiah will reign in the millennium, if God can forget his promise, if I forget the year of Jerusalem, I shall forget my right hand. 
If I can forget Jerusalem, my promises to Jerusalem, I can forget my son. That's what it, what it means. To whom has the right hand, the arm of the Lord been revealed? Yahweh brings salvation with his right hand. His right hand and his holy arm have gained the victory for him. In his death and resurrection, Jesus won the victory. Now notice what it says. Gained the victory for him. We benefit from the victory. We are the beneficiaries of the victory. But Jesus went to the cross for his father, knowing that we would benefit from it. But he didn't do it at his own behest or even do it purely for us, apart from the love of the father. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. For God so loved the world, he gave his son. Now, Jesus shared in that love. But the victory on the cross, Jesus did it to give victory to his father. And through the victory of his father, he gives liberation and salvation to us. We are the beneficiaries of it. Okay? We are the beneficiaries of it. Um, you just think of uh, uh, Magatha said, I shall return. Okay, Douglas MacArthur, he was paraphrasing Jesus at, in Corregidor when he was forced to leave, leave the Philippines to Australia. And he said, I shall return. Okay, well, he returned. And the Filipinos had their own resistance, their own underground against the Japanese occupation. And they were fighting in tandem with the ordinary, with Americans. At that time, Filipinos were technically Americans. And they were doing it. But it was the United States who liberated the Philippines. The United States defeated Japan. Countries like South Korea and certain places in the South Pacific, like Guadalcanal and the Philippines, they benefited from the victory. The people in Hong Kong benefited from the victory. The people in Southeast Asia benefited from the victory. We have to understand, yes, God sent his son because he loved us. But the victory is in Christ, and he did it for his father. He did it for his father. Jesus defeated Satan on the cross? Yes. Why? The Lord has made known his salvation. He's revealed righteousness in the sight of his son, his right hand and his holy arm gained the victory for him. Jesus gained the victory for his father. He said, here, what Satan corrupted, I've defeated him. And now the people who he tricked, deceived, lied to, oppressed, have a way of salvation. Love motivated the father. Love of the Father motivated the Son. We have to understand this in the dynamics of the triunity of the Godhead. Love for us motivated the Father. Love for the Father motivated Jesus. Remember, he was fully human, fully divine, 
He said, Father, let this cup pass from me. Is there another way to bring salvation? Is there another way to save those who would be saved other than this, other than me being separated from you? There wasn't. In Gethsemane, this happens. In his death and his resurrection, gained victory for him. But then in verse 2, the beneficiaries of the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. Now that word salvation has the Hebrew root of the letter shin. Shin. Hoshia. Okay. The prophet Hosea. Ishayahu, Isaiah. I know some of you know this, okay? Yehoshua, Joshua. Yeshua. If I was to say our salvation in Hebrew, I would say Yeshua Tenu. Yeshua Tenu, our salvation. If I was just going to say salvation, I would say Yeshua. Derives from the name Joshua. Yehoshua, Jehovah is salvation. The very name that, that Jesus had points to his deity. Uh, the one who brings salvation would be Jehovah. Let's look. He's remembered his loving kindness and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. And all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. This, of course, goes back to the Abrahamic promise of Genesis chapter 12. Through the seed of Abraham, through Abraham, all the tribes of the earth will be blessed. The Messiah would come as the seed of Abraham. Now, we know that Abraham was a Gentile converted to Judaism. That is how he is the father of all who believed. He was both a Jew and a Gentile, as it were. We know that the house of David, the lineage of the Messiah, began with the marital union between Ruth and Boaz, a Jew and a Gentile. The royal line of, of, of Judah, the royal line through which the Messiah would have to come from the tribe of Judah, had to come about as a union of Jew and Gentile, because salvation would come to the Jew first in verse 3. Okay, this is exactly what we read in Romans, to the Jew first and also to the Greeks. Okay. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. He talks to Israel, and then he talks to all these nations. Let's look at the book of Romans, please. Chapter 2. Verse 9. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil. Of the Jew first and also the Greek. Look at verse 9. Yes, the Jews are the chosen nation through whom the Messiah would come, to whom God would give the scripture. That is true. He made a covenant with Israel. He made the new covenant with Israel. That is all true. 
But because the gospel, because salvation was available to them first, because Jesus is a Jew, the culpability for rejecting him is against them first. The terrible, ugly things that have happened throughout the history of the Jewish people are the curse of the Torah, as we've said before, Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28. Satan has always tried to destroy them and will continue. The worst is yet to come, but God has always preserved at least a remnant, and he will continue to do so. But why did this happen to them? <laughs> Tribulation, to distress for every soul, but it is chronologically against the Jew first. Against the Jew first. The Gentile nations will get the same treatment in chronological order. Next. What is the way of escaping this? Obviously, it's salvation. Obviously, all who have sinned without the Torah will perish. Without the Torah, all who have sinned under the Torah will be judged by the Torah. Paul writes. Okay. So we see the psalm predicts that the Messiah would bring salvation and it would come to Israel and then to the ends of the earth. They would all see it. What did Jesus say? He said, from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Now, initially, they thought that meant basically the Roman Empire and a few other areas uh, beyond the Roman Empire. Perhaps they didn't know about Brazil and Argentina and Canada, and they didn't know about Wyoming and, 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 and New Jersey and then Florida. But God did. They didn't know about Japan. But God did. Let's continue. Didn't know about Korea, but God did. Verse 4. All the earth. Break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. Sing praise to the Lord with the lyre. With the lyre and the sound of melody. With trumpets and the sound of the horn, shout joyfully before the Lord. Okay. Now notice those instruments, the instrumentation. Satan and Antichrist will have their counterfeit of this. In the book of Daniel, when they had to play those instruments and everyone had to bow down before the beast. Satan will attempt to counterfeit this. He attempted to counterfeit it with Nebuchadnezzar, obviously, but we know that's going to happen with the Antichrist. It's going to happen with the Antichrist. Okay, it's going to happen again. But this is not talking about the Antichrist. It's not talking about the counterfeiter. It's talking about the real thing. Now, notice something. The harp is missing. The harp, uh, in the list of instrumentation of instruments, there's no harp. A harp is called a kinor in Hebrew, kinor. And the Sea of Galilee in Hebrew is shaped like a harp geographically, and it's called the kineret, the kineret from kinor. It's the 
Harp Lake, sort of, or the, uh, yeah, Harp, it, it's, it's, it, it's, the Kinetic means from the Harp, of the, or of the Harp, okay. There's a reason Jesus lived there. It's missing, the Harp is missing. But now let's look, please, to Psalm 150. It looks similar. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the trumpet sound. Praise him with harp and lyre. Praise him with timbrel. That tof midiam is like a combination of a tambourine and a drum. And dancing. Praise him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise him with loud cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And poetically, the Hebrew is beautiful. Kol hanshema telhelayah, hallelujah. Kol hanshema, everything that has breath, telhelayah, let them praise the Lord. Now, it's not our subject tonight, but perhaps it's worth a brief glance. Look with me, please, to the book of Daniel. We see that Daniel had a strong sense of resolve, and he was associated with his colleagues, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, okay? We know the story how these things would evolve, and the king would have these dreams about world empires and things. But then when we get to chapter three, the king made an image of gold, the height of which was, now look at the combination of sixes, 60 cubits, it's with six cubits. I deal with this from Aramaic and Hebrew in the book, Shadows of the Beast. I explain the use of the sixes and the number of the beast to do with this, okay? In the plain of Dora in the province of Babylon. And when you see Babylon, it in some way relates to Babylon, the great revelation, but we know that. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps, prefects, governors, and counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. This, of course, foreshadows the image of the beast in Revelation 13. Again, it's not our main subject tonight, but let's look. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, counselors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication that, of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar set up. Okay. 
Then the herald, the herald loudly proclaimed, to you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. Notice it's also international, multinational, same as Psalm 98. It's going to be an international worship. Okay. The moment you hear the sound of the horn, <laughs> the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image of Nebuchadnezzar the king is set up. We always have Satan the counterfeiter. We've warned many times that music can be used for good or evil, like anything else. But like anything else in scripture, it can certainly be counterfeited. What am I saying? Well, it's pretty obvious. God is going to be worshiped with this kind of instrumentation and singing of praise. But Satan, likewise, will demand such worship. He'll counterfeit Christ before the return of Christ. And we've said, well, just this past week, the week before last, within the last week to 10 days, finally, Brian Houston, the pastor of Hillsong, has been forced to step down as pastor of Hillsong because of the sex scandals going back to his father and his cover-up. Now, I knew about these things 25, 30 years ago. Philip Powell told me, we knew an older generation of Pentecostal preachers in New Zealand and Australia who knew this, but they couldn't prove it. But it was covered up by Hillsong. And now he's gone. Well, we've warned about Hillsong. So many of the lyrics and things they sing are not scriptural. You know, Graham Kendrick has written some good stuff, but he's written some stuff that is lyrically quite bad. Quite bad. You see this in the Vineyard Hymn Book, similarly. The River Song from that counterfeit revival in Pensacola, not a word of it was scriptural. <laughs> it was just there to manipulate people emotionally and with religiosity thinking it was spiritual, but it was, if anything, mystical. Now, the scriptures warn about all this stuff. Jesus said, don't repeat the same phrases. When you see people singing the same thing over and over and over again, the Greek word is mesmero. You put the evil eye on somebody. You get the word mesmerized. It, it has a hypnotic effect. In Hinduism, it's a mantra. Talk to believers, save that of Hinduism. They'll tell you about a mantra. It's the same thing. It just... Well, the problem is, as we've said a number of times, and I'm sorry to bore you, if, if you don't know, we have new people watching all the time, so I have to repeat things our regular people know from time to time. Uh, people are getting their doctrine from singing choruses with no attention to the fact that the lyrics of what they're singing may not be scriptural. Now, I'm not attacking any style of music. I'm talking only about lyrics. The traditional hymns, if nothing else, 
the lyrics were totally scriptural in agreement with scripture. The week before last, somebody from the States sent me a clip. It was John Haller. I think it was John Haller. Sent me a clip of Andy Stanley's church. Andy Stanley is the son of Charles Stanley. And Andy Stanley is a rank heretic. And the worship session in his church, I am not joking, was a copy band, a cover band, singing the songs of Led Zeppelin, the heavy metal band. I don't mean putting Christian words to the melodies of Led Zeppelin. They were singing Led Zeppelin. Hey, hey, mama, say the way you move, gonna make you sweat, gonna make you groove. That was their worship. Climbing the stairway to heaven. Got a whole lot of love. Got a whole lot of love. That, it was a copy band, like a tribute band, trying to sound like Led Zeppelin. And they called it worship. Satan counterfeits true worship. When we deal with the subject of worship, we have to understand the basic principles of scripture about it. One is hishtach vaya in Hebrew. Hishtach vaya. It has to do with bowing down. In Greek, praskuto, praskuto. The Jehovah's Witnesses say, oh, it means do, doing obeisance to Jesus. No, they worshipped him, praskuto. Jehovah's Witnesses lied. They gave it a, the word a different definition in their perverted translation and so on. Well, music should invoke us to bow before the Lord as our creator and as our savior. He saved us despite our sin. It should invoke something that makes us worship him. Secondly, Jesus said the Father wants to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. If the lyrics are not doctrinally correct, God does not accept the worship. Oh, but they're so sincere. How can you judge their heart? I'm not, but Jesus can. Oh, you're judging your brother. Hey, hey, mama, say the way you move, gonna make you sweat, gonna make you groove. Bum, 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 bum. They call it worship. There was a church in Thomas Crook in Sheffield, England. They were dancing topless and all this in the church, and they were calling it worship. During the, the, the laughing drunken thing, they literally were running around nearly naked. <laughs> They weren't in a sauna, they were in a church. They call the worship. When we see the worship of the Psalms, which is the biblical hymn book, it is very, very specific. It's about the Lord as creator and about the Lord as savior. It's not entertainment. 
it is a means to express our love, our acknowledgement of who he is, and our gratitude. If music in any way deviates from what we see in the Psalms, thematically or lyrically, it's no good. Now again, I'm not arguing for styles of music, but the stuff that Charles Wesley wrote or Isaac Watts wrote or Fanny Crosby wrote or Augustus Toplady wrote, the traditional hymns I mean, you can't fault them. You can't fault any of them. These were people who prayed about this stuff before they composed the music. Handel's Messiah, obviously he, he went to the scriptures, mainly the book of Isaiah. Bach the same. Well, let's look. Mendelssohn the same. Today, Led Zeppelin? Now, the fact that the harp is missing, the fact that the harp is missing tells us something. God is to be worshipped on earth this way. He was to be worshipped in the first temple this way. He was to be worshipped in the second temple this way, but largely was not, only a bit in the beginning with Ezra and all that. And in the millennial reign of Christ, he will be worshipped this way. But it is a, you can't say microcosm, but a miniature introduction to what eternity is going to be like. There's one instrument missing. That's the harp. That's why you see like in animation and things like this, when people have angels, they have harps. So when somebody dies, they give them wings in, in the animation and, and, and give them a harp and things. There's a reason, you know. They may not know the reason, but the harp is associated with eternal worship. Now, verse seven. Let the sea roar and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy before the Lord is coming. More of that in a moment. Notice it's talking about nature, geologically, worshiping God in a metaphorical sense in a as a simile as a poetic simile look with me please once again to the book of Romans chapter 8 Verse 22, please. For we know that the whole creation 
groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Now remember, when you look at biblical eschatology, and I use the term for one of a better one, you see seismic activity, the earthquakes and so forth. There was an earthquake when Jesus rose. Earthquakes have to do with the earth in birth pangs. It parallels what is happening to the woman in Revelation 12, obstetrically, it happens seismologically, geologically, okay? The earth, that's why we see an increase in seismic activity in earthquakes before the Lord comes. It's getting ready to give birth, as it were, okay? It suffers the pains of childbirth. Well, just think of maternal labor. There's no joy in it. Things like epidurals may help a little bit, but there's no joy in it. Remember, the Greek word is kalobo, kalobo, a surgical incision. The rapture will be a Caesarean section. The rapture will be a Caesarean section. For the sake of the elect, the time will be cut short. God will intervene, just like a woman who goes into maternal labor for more than 24 hours. They become worried about the woman's health. They become worried about proclampsia. They become worried about the fetus. And so they can't induce labor. They'll go in and they'll grab the kid by surgical means, by cesarean intervention. Well, this is the same thing. God is going to intervene by, as it were, a Caesarean intervention. He's going to go in and grab the faithful church. The man-child is going to be pulled out. However, this is illustrated in this psalm geologically. The creation groans out. In Romans 8.23, not only this, but we also ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for adoption. As sons, the redemption of our body. We want the Lord to come. The new creation wants him to come. The old creation wants to cling to this fallen world. The new one wants him to come. Okay. The creation calls out. The judgments in the book of Revelation. Okay. Once the rapture happens, once the rescue takes place, once the resurrection occurs in Revelation chapter 7, then you get the trumpet judgments and the three woes. Notice that those judgments affect the geological composition of the planet. They are judgments that affect not only the biosphere, although including the biosphere, they affect the planet itself. Media hits the water and a third of the water, everything in it got, dies and all this kind of stuff. Every mountain shall be brought down. The planet itself is going to be smitten. 
and remade. It'll be remade at the end of the seven years, but it is going to be smitten. So much bad happens in it. God says, "Get burn it down, get rid of it. Once he rescues his people, he said, get rid of the rest of it. Just <laughs> demolish it. The three woes and the trumpet judgments are going to be a judgment on fallen man and on the kingdom of Antichrist by judging their habitat, by judging what they're going to cling to. However, there was nothing wrong with the rivers and the seas and the mountains as God created them. They just came under the domain of the wicked one like anything else due to the fall of man. The creation itself, we are told, the whole creation suffers pains. It groans out. It wants him to come. It wants Jesus to come. When we see increases in seismic activity, earthquakes, tsunamis, natural disasters, I suppose volcanic disasters, but certainly earthquakes specifically, shifts in the tectonic plates and so on, and the ramifications of them, which include tsunamis. Look what it says. Oh boy. Now, these things are gonna rejoice. The sea will roar and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy before the Lord, for he's coming to judge. <laughs> Jesus is going to straighten this place out. He's going to straighten this place out. He's going to demolish it and rebuild it according to the original plan. But first, he has to get us out of here. He's going to judge this place. He's going to judge the habitat. But first, he has to get us out of here. Now, by us, I just don't mean you and I. That's obvious. I mean anybody else who will get saved while there's still time to get saved. Now, let's look a bit further. The sound of the trumpet and the horn in verse 6. You have a problem in the Greek language because you basically have one word for both a trumpet and a horn. Salapigo. Salapigo. Any wind instrument, a bugle, trumpet, whatever, it is salapigo. If you're Greek, I may not be pronouncing it right. That's the problem with Bible colleges and seminaries. They only teach you how to read Greek. They don't teach you how to speak it. As I tell people, I couldn't order a takeaway souvlaki from an all-night shawarma joint in Plaka. <laughs> Forget it. <laughs> they, only, they only teach you how to read it. <laughs> well, anyways, so let me go. In Hebrew, you've got trumpet, which are silver, but you have shofar the ram's horn, 
they're different instruments used for different purposes. And they both come into play in the return of Christ. The last trumpet, the signal for the rapture, will not be a shofar. To the best of my understanding, it'll be a silver trumpet, which was designed to set out, I'm quite sure. I could be dogmatic about it. So far, something else. It's judgment. Silver Trump is liberation. So far, it's judgment. Now we have a teaching, I think it's numbers 10 that we did on the silver trumpet or the, yeah, the trumpets. Uh, it's available on the Moriel website, uh, probably Moriel TV, it's, but it's available on Moriel. On, on, on the trumpets and the difference between the ram's horn and the trumpets. But in the Septuagint and in the New Testament, it's you got to go back to the Hebrew. It's just the translation issue. Bear in mind, they're two different instruments. Okay. The horn and the trumpet. The horn is a horn of a ram. Everybody knows what I mean, right? Uh, oh. I see somebody who doesn't appear to know what I mean. Give me, give me two seconds. This is a shofar. It's the horn of a ram. It's what was blown at Jericho when the walls came tumbling down. It is to do with judgment. I gotta practice. It's a Dizzy Gillespie thing. Anyway, that's one instrument. The trump is another one. We have to understand this is a difference. It's trumpet and it's horn. Okay. Now, verse nine. Let them all come together for joy. Before the Lord, he's coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the people with equity. Now, the term for equity there, it means uprightness, kind of, in a way that's going to be fair. The same standard is going to apply. The same standard will apply. Compare that to verse 13 again of Psalm 96. Before the Lord, he's coming. He's coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples he will judge in faithfulness. Remember, we are as guilty as they are. 
We're as guilty as they are. The only difference is the judgment for what we've done was poured out on Jesus on the cross. Okay. We're all guilty. We're all guilty. We are simply justified. We are counted as righteousness, obviously, because of Jesus. He's going to judge the others, and there will not be two standards. Not be two standards. But when this happens, it'll be some kind of a cause for celebration. Nature itself, the geophysical composition of the planet itself, it is going to rejoice that it's gone back to the way it was before Adam and Eve fell. The world is going to become so corrupt, so unspeakably evil, that our new creation is going to become more and more desperate to see the return of Jesus to put an end to the wickedness. Now, we have other recorded teachings explaining this. Uh, certainly not even a minyan the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah and the rescue of Lot as a type of the rapture is one you might want to avail yourself of on our website if you haven't heard it. Homosexuality is going to become more militant and more violent. We've been saying that for 20 years. And they're going to hate Christians. They're going to come after us the way they came after Lot before the Lord comes. That's how bad it's going to be. That's how bad it's going to be. When you see Rick Warren and Elton John testifying before the U.S. Senate, holding hands and smiling, and Rick Warren saying to Elton John, a homosexual, that if I kissed you, it would be the kiss heard around the world. And well, This is just... That's the church. That's the church. Ah... Uh, I don't want to harp on about it, but if you hurt one of these little ones, to take little kids and teach them that this stuff is normal. And now we have things on catching up with Jacob. We're looking at these social philosophers as self-appointed ones. That they're, they're fake journalists mainly, saying parents don't have the right to control what their children are taught in school. That's the, the, the domain of the teaching profession. Uh, <laughs> oh, my good Lord. And they want to make it law. They, do, they want to do exactly what the Nazis did and exactly what Stalin did. It's the same thing. They want to. It's going to get more and more oppressive. It's going to be more like this. <clears throat> as with birth pangs, intermittent periods of respite, as you know, yes. Will we receive a little help? Yeah, there'll be epidurals from time to time. But ultimately, the only way out of here is going to be the rapture. And we're going to become desperate for it. <coughs> Our old creations, remember, want to hang on to this place. 
it's only the new one that's going to want to get out of here. That is one of the reasons, or maybe it's the main reason, God allows persecution of the faithful church. He wants us desperate for his son to return and to fulfill the prophecies of Psalm 98 and other passages that relate to it. But Psalm 98 is a very, very central one. It speaks of his first coming, yes. What is conclusion is a messianic prophetic focus on his second coming, on his second coming. When it happens, we're gonna break forth with joy. Well, just think, after the Caesarean section, <laughs> the mother is stable and well, and you have a beautiful baby. You forget the trauma of the labor. Easy for me to say, I'm a male, but <laughs> I've seen when mothers get that baby, nothing else matters. Just that love of holding that baby that first time. Nothing else matters. Now, of course, that's being attacked today. Demanding the right to adopt your children and teach them these perverted things, it's terrible. But God is going to deal with it. He's already done wonderful things in verse 1 with his right hand. He's remembered his loving kindness and faithfulness to Israel. The promises of the Hebrew prophets in the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, Jesus fulfilled them. And it came to the Gentile nations in verse 3. All true. But then look what it says. A celebration is coming. A celebration is coming. We cannot overlook or deny the realities of persecution, of the horsemen of the apocalypse, of the first six seals of Revelation. We cannot deny the reality of an emerging antichrist and false prophet. We cannot deny the reality of an apostate church. We cannot deny that society is morally falling to pieces. That objective truth is being replaced by subjective preference and the subjective preference becomes reality. You've got guys having themselves surgically mutilated, entering women's sports, claiming the right to do it. Despite their DNA, despite the XY chromosomes, despite the natural advantage and stronger orthomuscular strength, they have a right to compete against women in sports. The same liberals who are the feminists now have 
have another problem. <laughs> it's all sick. It's all twisted. It's all nuts. And it's getting worse. All that's true. They're going after Christian families, they're going after Christian schools, they're going after Christian anything, and the world will become more anti-Semitic and anti-Zionistic. That is all true. But notice the psalm puts the emphasis on two other things. One, it puts the emphasis on the salvation he's already bought. Then it puts the emphasis on the celebration that's coming on the celebration that's coming. Just like pregnancy, nobody denies there's maternal labor, but the focus of an expectant mother is not on the labor. She's thinking about the baby. We are to be the same. Our focus is not to be about the tribulations the persecutions, or any adversity that precedes the celebration. Once the party begins, the rest won't matter anymore. Just like once the mother has the baby in her arms for the first time. Once the Lord comes and the party begins, <laughs> it will have not only been worth it, but that stuff will be insignificant compared to the joys to come. Hallelujah. The time will come. Everything that has breath, praise the Lord.